Before we start, a quick note for anyone who's considered trying the great videos from Grandmaster Simon Williams. This week, you can take 20% off and support the podcast by using the promo link gingergm.com forward slash the F-E-B. That's T-H-E-F-E-B. And use the coupon code BREAKFAST at checkout. Thanks. Now on to the show. This is Gara Kamsky, and you're listening to the Full English Breakfast. This is episode number 38 of the Full English Breakfast. I'm Macaulay Peterson. On the show today, with Lawrence Trent and Simon Williams, we'll take a quick jab at chess boxing, and then a deeper look at simultaneous blindfold chess, which has a new Guinness World Record holder, Grandmaster Timur Gareev, who's currently on tour in Kazakhstan. Incredible. I mean, this guy's just legendary, what he's done. It's unreal. Which are you guys better at, blindfold chess or chess boxing? Well, I know what Simon's better at, that's for sure. And he ain't blindfold chess. <laughs> Maybe I'm better at boxing. Who knows? <laughs> Have you guys had any experience playing blindfold? I've played a bit, so I've only played one game at a time, and uh, it's really hard work, you know, even for me, but a little bit of experience, Macaulay. What about you, Loz? Have you played before? Yeah, I've I've played bits and bobs. One of my first ever blindfold games that I can actually recall was against Stevie G, my former partner in crime. That didn't go particularly well, and since that moment, I thought, well, do you know what? Not, I'm, not, I'm definitely not terrible at blindfold. But um, what the likes of Timor and Mark Land have done is blows my mind. And Magnus even, even you know, what they can do is just unreal. All right. Well, before we bring in Timor Gareev, there was uh, an interesting story that actually happened on April Fool's. You know, sometimes you think of chess boxing and you think it almost could be an April Fool's joke because... It's just such a weird pairing. And yet uh, here it has been chugging along in a few cities, Berlin and London, namely, for five, six years now. But last weekend, there was an interesting bout because it involved a member of parliament, of the European parliament, Jonathan Arnott, uh, who is part of the UKIP party. Do you call it UKIP? We do. We call it UKIP, yeah. So when he's not uh, bashing immigrants and advocating for Brexit, he was getting bashed and making a quick exit from the boxing ring. Did you see the video of this? Oh, yeah, I did. I mean, it's such a pity to see someone from UKIP getting knocked out. You know, such a pity. Oh, it's brilliant. But um, yes, it was uh, It was probably one of the worst boxing moments I've ever seen. He was he was fighting someone from the Lib Dems, and uh, the guy from the Lib Dems obviously had a bit of experience in boxing, but this guy from UKIP, it was like literally watching a chess player trying to box uh, with no experience, and it was quite embarrassing in some respects. The guy just got battered. Loz, did you did you see any of this fight at all? Yeah, well, I mean, the fight didn't last very long, did it? No. So it's not like there was tons to see. No, it was uh, it was just a shambles. I don't know what he was thinking, why he thought he would be any good. Like, if you're going to get in the ring, you know, put in a few hours, do a bit of sparring, you know, try and just get some fundamentals in place. He looked like my gran going in there, this guy. He's, he's, he, he didn't know how to punch. He didn't know how to cover. He didn't know anything. The other, guy, the other guy, he was in good shape. He was, yeah. He was, uh, you know, and he would just thought, what a joke this was. I'd say the Lib Dem guy looked pretty good. The other guy we should say is named Toby White. 
good chess name. And uh, well, the quote from uh, Metro.co.uk was saying that you've trained to box is not actually the same as training to box. So that was his dig against his his UKIP opponent. I mean, it's 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 not like UKIP to say things and not stick to them, is it? <laughs> that's, that's so so unlikely to happen in the real world of politics. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's exactly it, right? So it's like. Politics, you can go quite far with blagging it, but when you're actually in the ring... Yeah, I'm a good boxer. It's quite symbolic. I can box. Let Put me in the ring. Oh, my words. I want to run away. Yeah, it was just, <laughs> it was just it embarrassing. embarrassment. Well, but this is a little bit of the problem that I have with chess boxing generally. I've been to one chess boxing match, and it does have a certain curiosity. And, and actually, I took some chess players to it, including Grandmasters, and we all had a, a, a nice evening. But I have yet to see one where either the quality of the chess... Or the quality of the boxing was at all acceptable if you're trying to talk about it as a, you know, as sort of a serious sporting competition. <laughs> the, the match that I saw, the, the boxers were sort of semi-competent, but, uh, you know, one of the chess games started with Black trying to move first. I mean, that was the level that we're talking about here. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's a great concept. I mean, I really, you know, I know the guys who run it well, and I, I think they're doing a great thing just to get chess in some way into the limelight we talked about this before that you know nowadays these kind of quick satisfaction things are getting the limelight in media and i think it's a really interesting concept i'm, I'm with you macaulay that some of the fights i've seen have been should we say not very well matched it's just entertainment pure and simple entertainment I'd yeah say. i've been to i've been to a few matches um i think i went to one of the very first ones in london at the dome near a tufnell park years and years and years ago I've seen some matches since then, and some of the matches are actually okay. The level, I was very surprised by one. It was a heavyweight bout. I think it was at uh, Scarlet, King's Cross, the old nightclub, which is, well, it's a nightclub and it's used for various things. The good thing about this boy is obviously it can appeal to a mass audience, right? So, like, anybody who loves boxing can enjoy it, and anybody who even just likes chess can enjoy it. Well, Loss, we, can you remember we actually commentated once together on yes. chess boxing? And, uh, we did, I, yes. I, I had to say, probably wasn't in the best shape to commentate in, in you, the time you were a bit <laughs> that was my worst that was one of my that was one of my unprofessional moments shall we say um i might have been um, a little bit tipsy before the commentary but anyway yeah that's all right but i mean you have to be i mean so like imagine you actually did get some really strong chess players and really decent boxers in there well look lots i think one of the most interesting surely is which chess players would we and people out there listening to this podcast oh. like to see? Well, I've got an answer. I've got an answer. We did a segment on chess boxing where we actually interviewed one of the more decent boxer chess players, this guy, Andy the Rock Costello. That's right. That was yeah. this match at the Scala. Maybe we were there yeah. together. I forget. Yeah, maybe but, that was it. Yeah. But when we talked about this on, on the FEB, the name that came up was, of course... Grandmaster Simon Williams. Oh dear. No, no. <laughs> I'm well out of shape. I'm well out of shape fitness-wise. We think of you as maybe uh, having the size and the sort of brawler mentality that would be enough to survive in the boxing ring and then you just crush them on the chessboard. Well, yeah. Well, it's just the thing with boxing is just the fitness. You have to be so fit. It's un I mean, people who haven't done any of the training, it's unbelievable. I mean, it really is the ultimate, you know, and the training is so hard. I'm just not in shape. Just to last a couple of rounds, you've got to give all the people who do it, even, you know, chess boxing, you've got to give them a lot of credit just for getting in that ring. 
but it is the fitness, and I'm just not fit enough. I'm not there. I'm not there. Give me a year. I'd need a year. So I, I'd definitely love to see Simon in a chess boxing ring. Get the fitness up. You could be heavyweight champion of the world, side. You know, you. I yeah, think I'm, I'm going to give you a year, and we'll put some serious money on you. Well, I would. I, I mean, I, like, I, if, I need a year. I need a year, guys. I think. You know, I so. think so. I think. We, I think you should do it. And I think uh, you should do it. And okay, quick. Maybe, maybe we should start a Kickstarter campaign. Yeah, we should. Oh dear, this is getting worrying. How now. much money do you? How much worrying. money do you, <laughs> you need? Like a few grand. Stop the beer. Yeah, great. Stop the beer. Brilliant. Yeah, you're gonna have to stop the booze. Maybe give up the fags. Give up the fags. Yeah. <laughs> no English breakfast. This is terrible. Yeah, it's gonna be an uphill tough. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on to a form of chess that is decidedly less physical. And that is the phenomenon of blindfold chess. Now, there might be some people out there who actually have never seen blindfold chess or aren't even sure what we mean. So for a quick refresher, this has a long pedigree going back to, you know, at least what, the 19th century, maybe earlier. The chess player can sit with a blindfold or not, but certainly without sight of the boards that he's playing and uh, play an entire game simply by calling out the moves and hearing the moves in response. And uh, typically this is done with a number of players in a simul exhibition. Uh, Basically, this has been going on forever, but what is new is the number of boards. In fact, we've had a new world record set in December of 48 simultaneous blindfold games by Grandmaster Timur Gareyev, who's now in the Guinness Records. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's just absolutely phenomenal, this world record he's created. He draws a parallel with running a marathon that I like a lot, only it's not just an ordinary marathon. A match of that long, it's like, it's kind of like running a 100-mile race, you know, just about. I mean, I think a lot of us are capable of it. I mean, a marathon is probably like playing like 20 games, 20 blindfold games, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, like a, it's like a mega marathon. Physiologically, I think a lot of people who would be capable of it, but they wouldn't attempt it because of the psychology. And at some point, you, you're going to be about ready to give up. I mean, I, I was at that point in my world record event where I was like, oh, man, I, I, I don't know if this is going to ever, like, end. Like, I might start losing my mind, losing my focus, start, like, blundering and, you know, like this is all going to go down the drain, you know. So, I mean, I did have that sensation. Yeah, you got to keep on going. And if you do, then, uh, you know, in my case, uh, I was able to succeed. I mean, it seems like the theme of today seems to be a, a mix of brain and brawn, doesn't it, really, with chess boxing and now with uh, Timor's thing, who, who, as you said, I think he's run a marathon or two as well, isn't he? He, he, he certainly keeps himself in very good shape. Yeah, I mean, he, he was doing some serious training. I mean, three hours of, of sport of, or exercise per day, marathon, as you said. But this is absolutely essential. I mean, much like getting in the ring to do chess boxing, you would need to do training. To play 48 boards, this took him 18 hours. And, you know, that's 18 hours of nonstop concentration and focus, you have to be really high energy, very fit to be able to even contemplate that. Setting aside the actual psychological, the mental task itself. <laughs> well, certainly. I mean, it, this is certainly one thing that all top chess players seem to be doing now. Maybe more. I mean, it was still historically a lot of players would stay in shape. You know, Korchnoi, Kasparov, Fischer. They, I mean, even Fischer did boxing training, so did Kasparov, for, for an example. But nowadays, if you look at 
Magnus Carlsen, I'm sure Lawrence knows this, being, you know, Fabiano's uh, manager for a while. Um, these guys keep in great shape, don't they, Lawrence? They have to, you know, at the top. It's very important. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly. I mean, with, with, with Fabiano, we had a personal trainer for him and a pretty strict regime where he would be training every other day at minimum. But what Timor has done is pretty astounding. Like, when I saw Magnus do the 10-board blindfold simul, that was pretty amazing. And then to see Mark Land do what he did, I, that was mind-blowing. And now to see Timor go that one step further, it's just, uh, it'd be great to have at the blackjack table, Sorry, <laughs> yeah, You know, counting. How many, how many decks are you playing today? Oh, t- well, 10 decks? Yeah, it's just 10,000. 10,000 cards, it doesn't matter. You're yeah. just, you know. So, no, I, what can I say? He's, he's got the character as well, you know? That's what I like about him. He is, he's a character. He is a freaky, deaky He's a cool guy, isn't he? He's kind of guy. He's cool. He's just completely original. I I, I love him. I'm friends with Mark Lang, and we actually played a a tandem blindfold uh, exhibition match uh, back in his uh, hometown. Uh, So we played a a match together, and uh, that was a kind of an insightful experience uh, to see uh, his style of play and his approach. So was he he pissed that you took his record? (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Well, he's, he's so pissed that he actually wants to break my record now. <laughs> Have you heard of Mark's ambitions to go for 50? I, I don't know what's the, the, the exact details. And I'll, I'm sure I'll speak with Mark and just kind of find out all his secrets <laughs> for trying to make it happen. But, you know, um, we're actually uh, kind of uh, uh, supportive of each other's effort. I think the, the big idea would be to... To share the experience, I think trying to get ahead of each other is not necessarily even the priority, but the quality of the effort and the experience for the players and the audience and the world, how well we can present and uh, share this experience with the world, I think is what's going to matter for the legacy and uh, the benefit of blindfold chess to the the world of chess. And I think just in general as a as a spectacular experience, an athletic occasion, as it often ends up uh, being, you know, with the level of endurance that blindfold chess requires, trying to sustain the the energy and concentration over many many hours of play. It was great. I mean, like the the standard of his players actually astounded me in the quality of his chess because yeah. when you're doing forty eight boards you would imagine a lot of these simultaneous world records which are not blindfolded, the standard of the players is atrocious. But the standard of the players he's playing, I think it was like 17 to 1800, and he got a very high percentage of wins. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head what it was. I think it was, it was 80%. But 80%. And I was looking at the games, and he's, he played some brilliant chess. Mm. So it's just, as you say, Lawrence, just um, remarkable, remarkable feat. How does he compartmentalise he actually manages to segment his mind? Well, I did try to ask him about that, and I didn't quite understand it, but a big part of it seems to be being able to associate the games with the individual. And I've heard this before also from other uh, blindfold simul exponents. You basically can try to create a link between the position you're trying to remember and the person who your opponent is. So it's important that you can either see them, what Mark Lang does, or be able to make that connection through hearing their voice. Um, but that was that was very important. There's many, many elements involved. I think a lot of it's kind of experiential. It's definitely the spatial memory uh, just being able to relate to different boards and just kind of uh, attributing a certain image to that experience. 
engage different senses and the more present you are with uh, that you have that maintain that freshness of mind and the blindfold chess have has that quality that it actually as you complete the, the 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 match the way i feel i may play like let's say a one competitive game one-on-one with a sided on a, with the board i see you know i play against another grandmaster especially and uh at you know most of the time i'll be exhausted you know towards the end of the game uh but uh with the blindfold chess experience it may take this similar amount of time and uh, I may have more boards that I'm playing. You have that meditative uh, quality to the, the times you'll end up uh, feeling more focused, like a, a, you know, a meditation practice. Like you'll feel that kind of freshness of experience. And I think uh, blindfold chess a lot, it's about you know, the sense of presence, just being able to notice what's going on in the moment and not let your mind wander off. And uh, the more experience you have, I think, uh, is also very important in, in making like something big, like a world record event happen. It's just having that experience, because if you haven't attempted playing that many games, you may have that level of anxiety. And I certainly had that. Uh, but then you're, you can uh, get, your, get your senses together and uh, realize that you can do it or make certain adjustments. Or if you're completely lost. There's still ways out uh, trying to continue the game and recollect some of the missing pieces. So I, I've had that experience and Mark's had those experiences. And I think that's what uh, gives us confidence to move forward and, and we try to reach new heights in blindfold chess. I know Mark has told me that one of his tricks is to sort of create stories um, because, you know, our, our brains are very good at remembering stories. You know, there's this great oral history tradition and before written language, everything was, was done through stories. And so one of the things he does when he's playing one of these exhibitions is usually adds another challenge. So for example, he'll play a, a blindfold event and then at some random point, someone is assigned to come up and give him a hundred digit number that he then has to memorize. And then at the end of the event, he recites the 100-digit number Wow! after he's been playing all these mindful games. I That's mean, this is insane. just mind-boggling. But I said, That's how insane. The, I said, how do you possibly, I mean, I can't, I can't even fathom how you do that. And he said, well, it's, it's not so difficult, really. I mean, he was, <laughs> but, but what he does, basically, is he tells himself a story. Mm, and every yeah, element of the story has some connection to numbers. But how does he even so, remember the story? Well, like, he, makes, he makes it up. He makes up a story with, with some familiar elements, uh, you know, that could be from his life or from his house or from his personal surrounding. And every, every element in the story connects back to, to a sequence of numbers so that basically you have this sort of chunks of numbers that get associated with, a, with, with, let's say an object or a person or somehow. Uh, and then that story that can be completely a, a nonsensical story. It can be a surreal story, but just being able to remember the story then allows you to remember the number, basically unpack the number. Yeah. Yeah. The planning for this was, uh, you know, quite a long process, years process. And he did a number of training matches and he, and he continues to do these blindfold exhibitions on a smaller scale. But leading up to the world record attempt, he played a lot of smaller blindfold exhibitions all over the world. Um, and yet you can't really prepare for the world record itself. It's just too many boards. So the next best thing, the highest number he did was 35, which is itself quite huge. And that took 12 hours. But then he got to go from 35 to 48. And 
you can imagine the pressure. I mean, how hard it is to arrange a 48-bolt blindfold simul and the, the, the planning and costs involved in just getting it logistically together. Getting someone to sit there. Then the pressure of trying to get the world record. And then to top it off, there was this fire alarm incident. It was a friend of mine uh, who was uh, catering for the event and he was making some food out there in the building kitchen and it just wasn't designed for having any steam come off. So uh, just all of a sudden the, the incident happened and just started going off. So then uh, the police comes in and so slowly, I, you know, I get to realize within, I, I, was, I was there for like two or three minutes uh, if not longer than that, with like, hey, what's happening here? The the, the fire fire truck came in, and you know, like, hey, you gotta leave the building. So it's like, okay, well, let's evacuate. So I came out, came out, uh, took took my blindfold off, and then uh, it was a beautiful sunny day in Las Vegas. So we get to walk around for 30 to 45 minutes, and you know, uh, then kind of had to get back and get back to action. And it was a little crazy, but. Uh, I kind of I thought a little bit about the positions, kind of aligned them as I was walking, and in a way that almost helped me just because of the ability to switch it up and take in the fresh air. But had it happened, let's say sometime in the first uh, two hours, that could have uh, certainly messed it up just because uh, I was I, I just needed that ultra focus, ultra concentration, staying in the moment to be able to maintain awareness of those initial moves which really need to be anchored in uh, within the alarm accident uh, incident happened maybe about four hours after we started and by that point I already had it all uh, pretty much planted and figured out in my mind uh, as to which board number what was the type of position who was that player what was that voice is certainly uh, the, the voice, the vocal, the tonality, I had the players deliver their moves. Uh, and I think uh, that's, uh, you know, it might, it might be like a 10, 15% anchor. So that kind of, you know, like small anchors like that that could aid you throughout the game, you know, but that certainly all accumulates on top of the big thing is just, you know, that the quality of a chess mind to be able to uh, access that blindfold chess ability. I heard this live. We were, you were, we were broadcasting the games on Chess 24, and there was you know, tweets about the fire alarm going. And I was like, oh, no. It's, it's bad enough when the fire alarm goes off in a normal game, but if you can't see the board and you're playing multiple... 48 of them. Just totally throw your mind into another, another place. I can just see it you know, all going away when your concentration is shattered and suddenly you're, something you're preparing for for years just <laughs> withers away. <laughs> it's just phenomenal. I can it? remember a fire alarm going off, actually, Laws, at the... Then you know, call it the four NCL once, and I was playing a grandmaster, and uh, it was my move. We stood up, and then this was a very cheeky grandmaster. We walked outside, and what I didn't realize, everyone else has stopped the clocks, but this grandmaster started my clock as soon as everyone started leaving the building. <laughs> and then he, uh, yeah, and then outside he offered me a draw, and I said, uh, I said, oh no, I'll, you know. Why aren't you naming and, this person? Well, I, I said no, uh, Bogdan Lalic. I said no, okay. and um, <laughs> I said no, and then uh, and. Uh, he, he said, well, I've started your clock. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, what? Great. Thanks. Thanks, Boggy. Back, back, to, the, back to the blindfold chest quickly. 
Well, listen, I mean, you know, people, I, I like to get people's ideas on the Facebook page about, you know, rivalries, rivalries that they'd like to see, you know, like I'd like to see Tapalov versus Kramnik. Just put it in the ring, get it out there. Let's see it. That'd be a top level match. Who would win? I think Kramnik would probably get the better of that, being friends with Klitschko. He's got the height. He's got the height. He's friends with Klitschko. They could train him. Tapalov, well, you know, I'd like to see Tapalov throw some punches. Oh, I don't know. That'd be a good one. On the way out, Ginger GM does have a very nice shop, and this week there's a big discount, 20% off if you use the coupon code BREAKFAST. Simon, what have you got in the Ginger GM shop that people should be buying? About 15 DVDs. You can get them as a physical copy or now digital download. Let's take my Dutch DVD, eight hours of tuition in the Dutch, sent straight to your computer. Can watch it on your iPad. It's quite handy. We've got the whole collection, which you can buy over 100 hours of tuition from the shop. And if you use a 20% code, it'll be a pretty good price as well. Very good price. Yeah, you can support the show if you go to gingergm.com forward slash the FEB and then use the coupon code breakfast at checkout for 20% off anything. Buy the collection and buy duplicate copies as well, just in case. Oh, boggy, 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 boggy. boggy.